storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 26th, day 13 of the 2024 Australian Open, now officially in the books. Dare I say, it was our most dramatic day of singles results to date, as each of our men's singles semifinal battles deliver plenty of drama to break down on today's show. In the end, of course, it will be Yannick Sinner versus Daniil Medvedev for the Australian Open crown, the fifth time these two men have faced off in a final in the last 52 weeks, and again, was a dramatic and fascinating pathway for each man to get there. For Yannick Sinner, he was offered, dare I say, the greatest gift Novak Djokovic has ever given an opponent at a Grand Slam event. Djokovic was off from start to finish. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And while it is a massive testament to Yannick Sinner that he managed to stay the course, particularly after dropping that third set within which he had a match point. It was funkiness from the world number one that defined that result. That's my biggest takeaway from that match. But of course, I want to get into all the details of that one on today's show. And then, I mean, things got weird. When Sasha Zverev went up two sets to love on Daniil Medvedev, it felt like this might just be Zverev's day. And look, Zverev was 53-1 and coming into today's semifinal match when he had a two sets to love lead at the majors. That record moves to 53-2 and as Daniil Medvedev scraps, claws, and drop shot returns. Yes, drop shot returns his way to victory. Ultimately, another five-set win for for the world number three, and now the blockbuster final is set. Again, Yannick Sinner versus Daniil Medvedev on today's show. I want to break down how we got there. It will be a shorter show than perhaps the action dictates. The reason for that fact is, of course, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time today, our Crack Rackets team kicks off our coverage of the 2024 ITA kickoff weekend. The ceremonial symbolic start to every college tennis season will have coverage of the best college tennis is happening in the country Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday on both our Crack Rackets YouTube channel and ESPN+. Plus. You can check out our Instagram feed as well as our Twitter feed for further details on who's playing when and what our schedule looks like throughout the course of the weekend. But again, you've got those ESPN Plus subscriptions. You might as well use it to watch some more excellent tennis. It is the most energetic level we have of this sport throughout the tennis universe. Come watch. ITA kickoff weekend, 60 of the best men's and women's college tennis teams in the country, all competing for a spot at the National Indoor Championships. We'll have coverage Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, spread out across both our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as well as ESPN+. Plus. If you need a preview of any of that action, you need to better acclimate yourself with the college tennis world, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed where myself, John Parsons, Chris Hallioris previewed all 30 of the men's and women's regions, excuse me, in play this weekend. Again, all of that preview content housed over on the Great Shot podcast feed, broadcasts of ITA kickoff weekend spread out Friday through Monday across both our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well as ESPN+. Also, of course, before we get going, a shout out to all of you listeners. It's been our biggest January to date. Appreciate all of you who continue to tune in. Appreciate all of you who have taken the time to subscribe, leave a five-star rating. Of course, go and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts as well. It means the world to us. It means the world to our sponsors. So thank you to all of you who have done that. A thank you as well to our sponsor, 
uh, at Tennis Point for their support, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. All right, let's talk day 13 of the 2024 Australian Open. And again, a bridge version of this podcast. We'll do a cleanup on both of these matches and everything that unfolds throughout the course of championship weekend in our final Australian Open recap show on Monday. But look, we got to start with Sinner Djokovic. Was the tennis always beautiful? Far from it. This was the funkiest performance, dare I say, or just the most off-putting performance I have seen from world number one Novak Djokovic at a major in quite some time. I don't say this lightly, but it's the weirdest thing I've seen Novak Djokovic, weirdest performance from him at a major since obviously he was defaulted in that Pablo Carreño Busta match at the 2020 US Open. And dare I say, maybe this was his weirdest loss. I mean, the Hyun Chung match at the 2018 Australian Open was weird, but Honestly, this might be the funkiest one since Cecinato at that French Open all of those years ago. Novak Djokovic, he just didn't have it. And what was so fascinating is coming out of the gate, right? Yannick Sinner serving, very first service game. He holds, and by the way, he ultimately didn't face a single break point the first time that has happened to Novak Djokovic in a major match. But it was not, a, you know, again, it looked like it was going to be a typical Djokovic-Sinner encounter with Djokovic pressing Sinner. Sinner forced to come up with not good, not great, elite tennis. And to clinch the first game, he hit this short angle forehand approach that was a glimpse of the excellence we've seen from Yannick Sinner in 2024. This short angle again, but with depth to drive the ball through the court. It was just a remarkable forehand approach and it was very clear right out of the gates. Okay, Yannick Sinner's come to play today. Novak Djokovic did not. And what was ultimately a 32 winner against 54 unforced error uh, performance for Djokovic, you got to key in on the first two sets. Five winners, 15 unforced errors in set number one. Six winners, 14 unforced errors in set number two. Again, an 11 to 29 ratio. Minus 18 was Novak Djokovic in those first two sets. Yannick Sinner on the other side of the equation between those first two, 10 winners eight unforced errors. He had only 10 winners in those first two sets. And if I would have told you before the match began that Yannick Sinner hit just 10 winners in the first two sets, you'd have said, oh, at best, maybe he won the first seven, six. But probably if that's the case, if he's only manufacturing 10 free opportunities for himself, Djokovic is probably cruising. Djokovic is probably the one, maybe not one and two, but probably first took those first sets three and three because Yannick Sinner just wasn't able to manufacture any easy opportunities for himself. That could not be further from the case. And from the onset, I don't know why, but Novak Djokovic came out pressing in a way I just have never seen from him before. He was so urgently trying to find the first opportunity to take a ball early on the rise, get in behind it, be the aggressor. And again, it just wasn't working for Novak in those first two sets. 29 unforced errors against just 11 winners speaks to that fact. And again, he's minus 18 through those first two sets. For what it's worth, the rest of the way, he's minus four. That's still a below average Novak Djokovic of performance. But those first two sets, Sinner didn't have to be excellent. Sinner just had to stay the course. And the highest compliment I can offer the 22-year-old Italian is that whatever was going on on that other side of the net with Novak Djokovic, and it was just, again, there was no rhythm, 
There was no patience. There was no timing. And he was reaching. He was leaning. It felt like he wasn't seeing the ball well. He was talking about how there was wind and it seemed to just be jumping on him. Everything was off for Novak Djokovic. And that lack of rhythm in this match, I mean, we did not have a lot of five-plus shot rallies at all throughout the course of this match, let alone the first two sets. That lack of rhythm could have disrupted what Sinner was doing in his service games. Again, disrupted Sinner's mental sharpness. And the highest compliment I can offer him is that it never did. Whatever was going on on Djokovic's side of the net, Sinner only allowed it to impact him positively and just simply stayed the course. He wins 83% of his first serve points in this match, made just 58% of his first serves. He freaking wins this match still. And again, 31 winners against 28 unforced errors. Credit to Novak Djokovic. Nothing was working for him in his return game. So what did he do in set number three? Double down on the thing that he has done so well in this 5.0 stage of his career where he's become a bit of a serve bot. Hits his location so well, follows it up with precision, better pace than ever before with his plus one aggression. He found that gear, not the gear in the return games, not the ability to extend points and be the unbreakable wall that Djokovic has been throughout the course of his career. No, we didn't see that Djokovic. We did get the serve bot version in in set number three. And after fighting off early break points, again, no breaks of serve in that uh, Djokovic fights off early break points, no breaks of serve in that third set. They get to the breaker, Sinner, 6-5 lead. But let's be clear, he has a match point. It's on Novak Djokovic's serve. Djokovic able to land a good first serve, although Sinner did have a look at a big forehand, was a little tentative with it. Djokovic able to grind his way through that for 6-all, holds for 7-6. Good return from Djokovic. Sinner makes an unforced error. All of a sudden, Djokovic takes a set. And all of us were thinking it. He's going to play this poorly and extend this match to a fourth set. Oh my God, he might just get away with it because there's no way this level sustains, right? Eventually, Novak Djokovic is going to find some rhythm on the return of serve. Eventually, Novak Djokovic is going to figure things out, right? Wrong. That was never the case. Again, nine winners against 12 unforced errors for him in set number four. Sinner, very efficient. 11 winners, five unforced errors, no break points faced, dropped just nine points on serve in the set in what was, what, five service games? Yannick Sinner stayed the course. Yannick Sinner did exactly what you have to do in that moment. Control what you can control. When the plus one opportunities present themselves, take them. Stay within yourself. Mix up the spots on serve. I tweeted this during the match. His slice-wide serve on the do side has become such a weapon. And his ability to yank Djokovic outside the alley with that serve, if it wasn't an outright winner, the lane of space he had to attack with his first strike, whether it be a plus one forehand, which it so frequently was, or even a backhand cross— The lanes were just so clear, so obvious for Novak Djokovic. And for some reason, Djokovic just was never able to find a gear in this one to respond to the efficiency of Yannick Sinner. Again, it's the biggest victory of Yannick Sinner's career. It sends him to his first major final. Sinner, the first Italian man to reach the Australian final. Of course, Sinner now in his 16th career tour-level final. Eight of those 16 have come in the last 52 weeks. And what's so fascinating, by the way, all of his last eight in these last 52 weeks, they've all come on hard courts as well. So again, you look for Yannick Sinner since the start of Wimbledon. He is 38-5 and 
overall during that stretch. 38-4 and four if you throw out the Cincinnati match, which of course I do because he had won Canada the week before that. Again, since the ATP rankings were published in 1973, only Rafa with five has won more of his first six matches against the world number one than Sinner. Sinner now four and two against the world number one. He's the first Italian male since the ATP rankings were published to defeat the world number one in a Grand Slam event. And at 22 years and 163 days, Yannick Sinner, the youngest men's singles finalist at the Australian Open since, maybe you heard that drum roll in the background, Novak Djokovic in 2008. Again, 38-5 and five overall since the start of Wimbledon. He's 11-2 and two against top 10 opponents during that stretch. Has three wins over Djokovic, three wins over Medvedev, a win over Alcaraz during that stretch of time as well. Again, two of his five losses to Novak Djokovic. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, this is what world number one, or at least this is what tier one tennis looks like. And since the start of the French Open in 2020, when he made his first quarterfinal at the majors, Yannick Sinner, 43-13 and 13 overall at the majors. He's played 14 different major events. He's made week two at 11 of those 14s. He's made the quarterfinals of six of them. Now into his first final as well. This is a 22-year-old on the rise. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. On the Djokovic side of things, look, he has now played 434 matches at the majors in his career. He's only lost the first two sets in 30 of them. Less than 10% of the matches he's played at the majors in his career. And there are 400 of them. And he's played now 101 against top 10 opponents. Again, for context, Diego Schwartzman, a top 10 player for some parts of his career, top 20 for the most of his prime. He's only played 108 total matches at the majors in his career. It's his first loss in Australian Open semifinal. It was, again, the weirdest and maybe worst performance I have seen from Djokovic since 2018 quarterfinal loss to Marco Cecinato. Sinman, excuse me, through to his first final where a date now with Daniil Medvedev awaits, again, their fifth final in the last 52 weeks. And I got to go faster than this now moving forward, so I apologize for the brevity of my follow-ups. This was a classic Sasha Zverev match, and this was a classic Daniil Medvedev match, and this is, dare I say, and this is a hot take, I know, I'm not saying it's my favorite tennis matchup, but in the traditional sense of the word rivalry, this is the best rivalry we have on the ATP Tour right now. You can feel the animosity. You can feel the tension that causes in every point played between Daniil Medvedev and Sasha Zverev. It's grimy. It's ugly. It's two six-foot-six guys who, when they revert to their most passive selves, want to be grinding away at the baseline. And again, what made Sasha Zverev so good throughout the first four sets of this match? Why did he have an opportunity to ultimately, dare I say again, win this match and advance to the finals? Because he went pretty much unbroken through the majority of this match. Again, Sasha Zverev, another elite performance with his first serve, made 78% of them, 14 aces, won 71% of those points. 66 winners, by the way. He went 55 of 75 at the net, was taking the space offered to him by that Daniil Medvedev defensive return position. Did everything right. Went unbroken in set number three. Went unbroken in set number four. Then, you know, again, got passive. Uh down the home stretch in each of those breakers. Obviously, the big match, the point we're all going to remember, Zvira's up 5-4. 
in that fourth set breaker, up a mini break. The match is on his racket. First point, a long rally, goes the way of Daniil Medvedev, fine. Second point, five all, Zverev lands a first serve. Medvedev hits a little forehand, chip, return. It ends up as a drop shot. Zverev's not able to get there. It's a forehand return drop shot. We haven't seen that since Ken Rosewall back in 1972. Medvedev grinds his way to that fourth set breaker, 7-5. You could just tell Zverev was done mentally, just broken because, again, he had a couple of high volleys early uh, throughout. Yeah, just so many. He was two points away from that match in set number uh, four and wasn't able to get over that hurdle. And look, again, in the game, he was broken in set number five. Zverev missed two forehand approaches and had a high forehand volley that he overcooked. He had the opportunities on his racket. But that same passivity, that same tension that seems to creep into Sasha Zverev at the ending of every significant major match, that still persists, even to this 2024 Australian Open when he's 100-plus matches into his slam career and has seen all of these scenarios before. And again, Sasha Zverev was 53-1, and went up two sets to love in the majors, entering this semifinal match. He's now 53-2. and Do you want to hear what those two losses are? This match with the Australian Open semifinal right available to him, two points away, again, knocked out by Medvedev here in the semis, U.S. Open final 2020 against Dominic Team. Two sets to love, Zverev was up. He was two points away, serving for the matchup, 5-4 in the fifth. Wasn't able to get over the finish line. Again, the scar tissue for Zverev just continues to add up. On the Medvedev side of things, it was the most Medvedevian performance you could see. Again, to Zverev's 61 winners, yes, Medvedev uh, a little bit lower. Daniil Medvedev overall for the match. Still an impressive 52, but excuse me, 66 to 52. The difference, Zverev 70 unforced errors. Daniil Medvedev 41 unforced errors. How many unforced errors did he make in set number five? Just seven uh, as he continued to grind his way towards victory. And look, Medvedev spent over 20 hours on court as he approaches this Australian Open final. How much gas does he have left in the tank? He's going to need all of it in a matchup against Yannick Sinner, where, look, he won the first six matches in their career head-to-head. He lost the last three down the home stretch, all of them after the U.S. Open last season. So there's some scar tissue building up there as well. Again, their fifth final in the last 52 weeks. But for Daniil Medvedev, it's a sixth major final. And guess what? This is the first time the 27-year-old's not going to have to face someone named Rafa or Novak in a final of a major. No, this time he gets a very much informed sinner, but at least it's not one of those guys. And you look for Medvedev now, 50-10 and 10 overall on hard courts over his last 52 weeks. For what it's worth, that's the most wins of any. No, excuse me. That trails Yannick Sinner. Sinner's got more wins straight up. 52 wins for Yannick Sinner over his last 52 weeks now on hard courts. Sinner a better win percentage as well. Sinner better hold percentage, better break percentage. And again, 3-0 against Medvedev since the U.S. Open. But man, for Daniil Medvedev to get through this one, to get through Rusevori, to get through Hercots, it's it's been a big event for Daniil Medvedev, who now in deciding sets at the majors, again, he's got to be feeling some confidence. You look for him overall in his career, Daniil Medvedev now 7-9 and nine, uh, in five-set matches at the majors. He's won his last four, and he's won five of his last seven. Excuse me. He's won eight of his last 11 after losing his first six five-set matches at the majors. And again, we can do some cleanup. The storyline is Zverev blinked. He was the better aggressor. He had the more pronounced weapons. He was the one more comfortable in creating easier opportunities to move forward. 
but Medvedev stayed the course. And God, does Daniil Medvedev never go away. Like that thorn in your side, like that gum on your shoe, he just manages to persist. Sinner versus Medvedev, the final. I'll offer you more thoughts on that one as we recap the women's singles final on tomorrow's show. Speaking of which, last but not least, quick preview of the women's singles final. Look, it's a blockbuster matchup. Two, one clear ascending star. And when I say ascending, I mean she is ascending to the unequivocal world number one status. The other, an ascending star in the more broad sense, 21-year-old, making her top 10 in major final debut. It's Arena Sabalenka, the 25-year-old, taking on 21-year-old Jung Chin Wen. Sabalenka, 61% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. We've seen this matchup at a major. In fact, we saw it at the last one. Sabalenka, a 1-4 in four victory over Chin Wen in that match. She didn't face a single break point. Now, Chin Wen made just 41% of her first serves in that match, obviously, number has to be higher because if you're not pressuring Arena Sabalenka right now, you just ain't beating her. And Sabalenka playing in her 26th career tour-level final. It's her, I believe, what, third, fourth career major final? Uh, Australian Open, U.S. Open. Now this, so excuse me, third career major final, but third in her last six. She's made six straight slam semis or better. You look for her at the majors overall. Uh, since the start of that 2022 U.S. Open uh, run, excuse me, her during that that stretch now 34 and 4 at the majors you know again against top 10 uh, top 20 opponents at the majors during that time she's 7 and 3 overall every stat points towards arena sabalenka as does the eye test she's yet to lose a set in this tournament was down 5-2 i understand in uh excuse me was up 5-2 a break in that opening set saw coco Goff serve for the opener in her semi, but the way she bounced back, that's a match that she might have like get away from her last season. Didn't in this one. Her power tennis is so overwhelming. And look, Chin Wen playing in her fifth career tour level final. She's made four of those five since the end of Wimbledon last year. By the way, she's 28 and seven. She's won 80% of her matches uh, since the end of Wimbledon. You look for her against top 20 opponents during that time, five and seven overall, but of course, 23 and 0 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. It's very clear she belongs in this tier moving forward. If you're not a top 20 player with some sort of weapon to make her consistently uncomfortable, you ain't beating her. You know, again, on hard courts over the last 52 weeks, Sabalenka, third in hold percentage, Junction Wen is sixth. Chin Wen, the first serve percentage is 50th amongst top 50 players, but her first serve win percentage is first amongst top 50 players. That's how much how pronounced the weapons can be. Sabalenka is just more consistent. Sabalenka is more powerful. Sabalenka is better at everything right now, and Sabalenka has been a buzzsaw. So yes, Chin Wen is a player on the rise, a player I have long foreseen this sort of outcome coming for, but I just think the signs are very clear. It's Sabalenka's world right now, and we are all living in it. Give me Arena Sabalenka to take this match in straight sets to capture back-to-back Australian Open titles and the second major of her career. That said, that'll do it for today's show. Again, ITA kickoff weekend coverage begins 10 a.m. Eastern time here on Friday and continues Saturday, Sunday, and Monday across both ESPN Plus and our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We say that's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.